Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. We've been thinking today about graduates, and we'll continue to think about a plea that definitely we can make to graduates, but we can make this plea from the Scriptures to any of us here tonight. And if you will, turn your Bibles to Luke, the second chapter, and we'll complete that study tonight. But we also want to think about some other special students that we have in our midst, that this past Thursday night was a very, very big event for them. If you were in their Tuesday-Thursday school here at Mount Juliet and you were up on this stage Thursday night, can you please stand? We just want to see you and recognize you and appreciate you. May have to, like, stand up on a seat. We have one back here. All right. We have some over here. Okay. Another one popping up back there. All right. We love you guys, and we're glad that you're a part of the Tuesday-Thursday school, and we appreciate the teachers and the aides and the director and each one that gives so much of their time for such a wonderful work. If you're ever down on a Tuesday or Thursday morning and you just need a little cheering up and you need your heart warmed, you just pass through here and you pass through the, the Tuesday-Thursday school area and I promise you that will warm your heart to see the children in such a loving atmosphere and being encouraged to, to learn about God and to serve God and what a wonderful outreach it is also as many of the students here are not a part of this congregation. We also look forward to celebrating uh, uh, their moving into the 2040 uh, complex and renovations are being made there and it's exciting to see uh, such a wonderful opportunity for the school there and we look forward to seeing the many great opportunities that God has in store for us. Let's be faithful with them all. Also, we want to uh, add a little uh, kind of correction there. The, two, the 20-something devotional uh, this Tuesday night will be at the Shannon's house instead of the Burkas. I think they had it last time and we need to revise that announcement. They probably wouldn't mind having it again, but we want you to be at our house this time and uh, maybe their house next time. But we look forward uh, to that group being there Tuesday night. We appreciate that group so much. They volunteered this morning to uh, work in Vacation Bible School this year and I'm sure many of you have volunteered uh, to do that and it's wonderful when everybody works together. You know, going to newcomers' luncheons and then this afternoon the wonderful privilege of going to the lunch that honored the graduates, various groups are asked to fill out uh, forms. And it is amazing the percentage of individuals when filling out their forms about Mount Juliet Church of Christ that they write the love for each other and God is so evident in this place. It's awesome to hear our seniors talk about the love that they have felt growing up and experienced while growing up here. And it's awesome that newcomers recognize that. And that's not uh, nearly as much a pat on our back as to say, let's keep doing it God's way. That's what God would have us to do. That's the first and second greatest commandment, to love God and to love each other. And and what a blessing it is for you and I to be in a congregation that loves God and loves each other. And let's just make sure that we continue to do that because God's way is always best. And speaking of God's way, we're thinking about 
today how Jesus grew up. And we looked early in verse 40 and we saw that he grew in various ways from just a little fella up through 12 years old. And then 12 years old we have insight to when he was in, this, in the temple and when he was asking questions and, and those around were amazed, but even his parents were amazed that they found him there. And there they probably learned something that day, which the scriptures tell us they didn't understand all that he was saying. But yet he made it very clear that day to them that he was going to be about his father's business. And so he was revealing to us, at least through the scriptures there, <clears throat> that he realized the importance, even as a little boy, of making faith in the Father in heaven our own faith. And so this morning we talked about the need to, to advance our faith and make sure that our faith is that. But then second, we looked at to increase our faith. Now, as we think about that of increasing faith, if you'll notice there in Luke 2 and 52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That word increase, we spent quite a bit of time on this morning, so we'll just quickly define it again. This doesn't mean to simply enlarge. Increase here carries with it a thrust of why something is enlarging. In other words, why do armies advance? They advance because men or soldiers push their way into that advancement. Why does a metal that is handed to a, uh, a silversmith or, or some kind of blacksmith, why does that metal enlarge? It's because that blacksmith takes and he forges that metal, he presses that metal, he beats upon that metal to increase it. And so what we learn here. It's, it's pretty exciting to me as, as I study through this text for the last couple of weeks is we see that Jesus was very intentional about his growth from 12 years old and up. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that he wasn't previous to that, but I'm simply saying by the way this verse falls into the text, it falls after the 12-year-old experience. And so that's where we see the emphasis. So once he was 12 years old, what happened to him beyond that? He became very intentional about growing. But what's interesting was he grew in four areas. Let's look now as we think about dividing our focus. Now, immediately someone says, wait a minute, I thought our focus was to be singular upon Jesus Christ cast our focus upon Christ, and that is true. We should cast our focus singularly upon Jesus Christ. But then Jesus would say, but I want you to back up, and I want you to look at at least four areas of your life. If this was the first Sunday in January, this would be a perfect sermon to preach on that day also. Or maybe this is a perfect sermon to preach for wherever the rest of you adults are. Maybe you've been evaluating your life and thinking, I really want to grow. I want to become a stronger person than what I have been in the past. Or maybe you're finding yourself that, where I find myself so often, especially not only saying I want to grow, saying I want to find a balance in my life. I want to make sure that I'm growing in a way that is most healthy for me in my relationship with God, but also my relationship with self and others. And so this is a perfect passage where Jesus, it's revealed to us, he gave a lot of emphasis in growing in these four ways. Very simple, but yet it's profound when we apply it to our life. The first thing that he says there in Luke 2 and 52 is Jesus increased, gave great effort to grow how? In wisdom. If you want to drop back with me to Proverbs the third chapter, in just a moment we're going to read verse 5 and 6. Now a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Jesus increasing in wisdom, 
uh, earlier where it says he grew in wisdom back in verse 40 of Luke, the second chapter. We read Proverbs, the second chapter. And I want to remind you just a couple of verses that we read back a couple of weeks ago. Listen to verse 4 as it says, as wisdom is being personified. It says, now this is Proverbs 2. We don't have a slide for this. Verse 4, if you seek her, talking about if you seek wisdom, seek her as silver and search for her as for, as for a hidden treasure. You see what he's saying there? How diligent would you search for silver if someone told you that there was $100,000 of silver buried in your backyard? I mean, really picture that. That'd be kind of comical, wouldn't it? I mean, you would be saying, whoa, I hope this sermon is over. I've got to get home before it gets dark. I mean, I would like to just spy over the fence to watch you guys try to figure out in your backyard, where is that? Well, I know this. If you started digging here and you didn't find it, but yet you were really convinced there's $100,000 silver, you wouldn't stop there, would you? You'd go over here and you'd go over there and you'd go over there. You'd continue seeking that until you found it. You know, it's been said, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes a very, uh, very uh, wonderful point. One day a student came to Socrates and said, I want to acquire wisdom in my life. And you are a great teacher. If I stay and follow you, will you teach me to be wise? And Socrates says, yes, I can. Follow me right now. And he began walking briskly. And the student filed in line behind him and followed him every step of the way. And they walked through town, the outskirts of town, and over to the ocean. Socrates didn't stop. He started walking out into the ocean, and the, the student followed him out into the ocean until they were neck high. He turned around. He placed the student in front of him, looking him square in the eyes. He began with all of his might to hold the student underwater. Well, after just a few seconds, there became a struggle. He still held him underwater, never ceasing to look at him. And as the young man almost died, Socrates turned loose of him and walked back to the shore and sat down. First, the young man came up gasping for air, as you can imagine. Finally, when he had enough air to feel like he was going to live again, anger filled him. And he began splashing out of that water, and he threatened his way up to Socrates. And he said, I want you to be my teacher, and you're trying to kill me. Why are you doing this? He said, sit down. He said, when you were under that water, what did you want more than anything in the world? He said, my next breath. He said, when you want wisdom that badly, you can obtain it. In a sense, that's what Solomon is saying in Proverbs. Wisdom can be found. We simply have to be diligent in our search. Please believe God tonight. I want to believe God. You believe God tonight. Tonight, let's believe God. Wisdom is never found casually. You know how you ladies like to shop and you walk through the, the, the store, the mall, and, and maybe one day there's something that you hadn't even thought about looking for that, but yet, boom, there, wow. I didn't think about finding that today, but that's what I've been wanting. You're not going to find wisdom like that. Wisdom is only found through diligent search. And so we go here to Proverbs the uh, second chapter is all about that search for wisdom and how wisdom comes from a knowledge of God and an understanding of the situation at hand and having the discernment to take the knowledge of God to apply it to a situation at hand. And so with that in mind, we come to Proverbs the third chapter. In Proverbs the third chapter, here on your screen he says, Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your past how can we find wisdom first and foremost we have to trust in God trust means to place your confidence to be sure that God is truly one that you can trust in and we have to decide that first and foremost. Am I willing to place my life in the hands of God? But notice what he also says. Lean not on your own understanding. The idea of leaning is just as we think of it today, to support oneself. Have you ever seen someone lean on something that wasn't sturdy? And, you know, as they kind of kicked their leg up and they leaned on it and it just fell over. And, you know, when you see that, it looks so funny because there was just no stopping place. They just kept going. Well, you know, it would be real easy to look at that happening physically and say, well, that looked kind of foolish. You know, that's what it is for you and I whenever we lean on our own understanding. We just keep going. We fall flat. And you say, that is foolish. In other words, it's the opposite of wisdom. What does wisdom do? Wisdom realizes we can't support ourselves. We don't know what we need to know. We are not self-existent. We must depend upon God. And so we look to God for every area of our life. But now notice when he says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. When we think about in all of our ways, that's one word in the original language. And he's saying, it really comes from uh, literally the idea of a road. So figuratively, it comes from in a course of life. So our graduates, they're deciding, especially now as young adults, they're deciding their course in life. Those of us that have been adults for a little while, we have chosen our course of life. And we have to stop and ask ourselves, the way I'm living my life, the course that I've decided to travel, am I acknowledging God? Am I recognizing the fact that I am a child of God, that I want to be submissive to God, that I want to have a, a faith in God? Does my life reflect that? And so it is, he's saying here, in all your ways, in everything, notice it's not just about religion, it's about everything that we are, we should acknowledge God. And then he closes by saying, here in verse 6, and he shall direct your, your path. It literally means he'll straighten your path. In other words, God can make the course of life what it really needs to be if we'll stop leaning on our own understanding and start placing our trust in God. And so that's the real question tonight. Are we willing to do that? You know, we need to do that at all times. But you know, I can think back at times in my life and, and all that are faithful here can think about those times where there were huge decisions to make in your life. And to be able to pray and just put all of that upon God. Say, I trust you, God. I don't know where it's going to lead. And I don't know what's going to happen. But I trust you, God. You know, I went through four years of study to prepare for an entirely different profession. And I remember the day that I was convicted to look back at all of that education and say, maybe God wants me to do something else. And Tracy and I had not been married very long, and I remember taking a letter that had been that final straw on the camel's back and I remember sitting down and thinking in a way, this is crazy. 
I've wanted to be a stockbroker for years. I've just graduated with a degree. I'm ready to go to work, and it didn't make any sense by my own understanding. But to be able to just sit down and honestly say to God, I trust you. I'm going to put my life in your hands, and you open the doors, and I'll pass through. You know, any time in my life I've done that, I've never looked back in regret. And every time I haven't done that, I can always look back and see huge mistakes because I've been leaning on something that had no support. How wonderful it is, how wonderful it is to know that we have a God we can trust. We have a God we can lean upon. We have a God that when we're not exactly sure of the course of life, He can straighten that path and He can make it sure for us. But now let's go back to our text in Luke, the second chapter. And notice not only did Jesus increase. In other words, He forged that way. He pounded that way of growth to do what? Not only in wisdom, but also in stature. Now oftentimes we think of this, especially as it relates to that of physical Think with me, if you will, in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And we have a slide here for verse 19 and 20. And we think about the fact that there are many things that we cannot change about our physical body. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, the 6th chapter, in verse 24, Jesus asked, who could add a cubit of, to their height just by worrying? Well, of course, none of us can change our height. So there's some things about our stature that we cannot change. But you know, there's a lot of things about our physical being that directly are related to our spiritual life. And so we look at 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and he reminds us that what we do with this body is very, very important. Look at verse 19 and 20, how he drives this point home after talking about some details previously. But in 19 and 20, he says, and this is the end of 1 Corinthians 6th chapter, he says, or do you not know? See, some people wouldn't know this. Do you not know that your body, the physical body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now notice, there's at least three powerful things there. First, just the revelation. Our body is a place for God to dwell. Second of all, we see the fact that our body has been bought with a tremendous price. Now, because that price has been paid, it's not ours. The one that dwells in us, the one that has paid that price, owns our body. Well, someone says, okay, preacher, that sounds good to me. My body's not mine. My body belongs to the Lord. Physically, what does that mean? Now, please understand, I'm going to start where this text is, but it means so much more than just this text here. But here in this text, he would say, okay, this is what it means. Flee fornication. There's no way that you can say, physically, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. I want to increase in stature. I want to increase with my physical body, but yet live our body in our body in such a way that conflicts the will of God. What we do with our body directly affects our relationship with God. It affects whether or not we are increasing or whether or not we're decreasing. 
Also, in this same chapter, he says back in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That last phrase, I'll not be brought under the power of any, is definitely talking about things that become addictive. In my life, in our physical being, we need to make sure that we avoid things that can become addictive things that can take over our lives so that physically we actually serve a master other than the Almighty God. And so that's just a few things that we read about from the scriptures of our body. Notice also in Ephesians, the second chapter, and we don't have a slide for this, but Ephesians, the second chapter, we think about first, our body is a house of the Holy Spirit. But then we think about that collectively as a church family, collectively as a church family is also a place for God to dwell. And then once we see this in the scriptures, let's link this together by application. Look with me, if you will, uh, 19 through 22. This is Ephesians, the second chapter. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, now this building being built up, that's the church. And keep in mind, the church isn't the physical structure of these bricks and mortar. It's the church that's being built up, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now let's put these two passages together. Passage number one is, 1 Corinthians 6, the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually. Passage number two is, collectively, we're building a church where God is to dwell. And for that to take place, the Holy Spirit dwells in us individually. Make sure we deal with our body in such a way the Holy Spirit would would dwell within us. But then secondly, we have to love God and love each other in such a way to be joined together, to be knit together, pulling together, loving together. Wait a minute. You mean that if someone is not dealing correctly with their physical body, that literally affects the church? It affects the church so much that if sins are not turned away from, we would read in 1 Corinthians to cast out the leaven that is going to spread throughout the rest of the church. We see teachings throughout the scriptures of how important it is not only for us to be pure as a body, but also to be pure individually. And so when Jesus increased in stature, in other words, he gave great effort to be what he ought to be physically. We know that Jesus was placing in his life the the nurturing that he needed physically. But we also know that he was placing in his life the restraints. We touched on this exact point just a few weeks ago, but we'll just mention it and move on. There is no way for us to be what God wants us to be without placing restraints in our life. Once we're addicted to something, It's a very difficult time to start placing restraints. Now note, if we are addicted, that's the time to place restraints at that point in time. 
But it's so much easier when we place those restraints before addiction ever takes place. Probably every family here, and if not, you are a blessed, blessed family, suffers a lot of pain, a lot of hardships in your family because of a family member that's suffering from addiction. God doesn't want that. In other words, God is trying to protect us when He says, increase in stature. In other words, dealing with the physical person. Grow physically the way I want you to grow. I want you to remember who owns you. Remember your body. Protect it. Guard it. Use it wisely as a vessel in God's service. Don't allow sinful things to take over that body that hurts you and hurts other people and it tarnishes a place so that the Holy Spirit can't dwell. And the truth is, in that sense, you can't be a blessing to the Lord's body. Not only did Jesus increase in wisdom and stature, but also as we read in verse 52, it says He increased in favor with God and man. Now, in favor with God is spirituality. In Ecclesiastes, the 13th chapter, we read a powerful conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes written by the wise man Solomon. And when we look back earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the second chapter, I'm just going to mention some topics that if you want to go back later in your personal study and read the first several verses, the first half of Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, you're going to read about a man that was trying to find his purpose in life. He was trying to find what really made a difference in living. And he tried all kind of uh, substances such as wine. He tried, in verse 1, just simply seeking pleasure. He tried all kind of possessions. He had huge houses and gardens and orchards and waters for pools and etc. He even had, in verse 7, personal servants. He had great assets of silver and gold and special treasure that only kings would have in verse 8. He had all kind of entertainment. Guys, he didn't have to go to a concert. He was so rich he could bring a concert to him. He tried everything. Verse 10 says, if his eyes desired it, he obtained it. Now, is that what life was all about? He concluded that all that was vanity. And here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes, the 13th chapter, verse 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. What is spiritual life? You know, you hear so much about spiritual life, and, and we want spiritual life, and we want to grow in spiritual life. But sometimes it's hard to just get a handle on what is spiritual life. Friends, I don't know a better way to define spiritual life than to simply put it, it's obeying God in everything. I'm not living a spiritual life when I selectively obey God. I'm not living a spiritual life when I rebel against God. Well, when are you and I living spiritual lives? We're living a spiritual life whenever we fear God. In other words, we want to submit our life to God. And so because we want to submit our life to God, we obey God in all things. Because we know there's a day of judgment coming. Spiritual life. Jesus increased in favor with God and man. In other words, 
Jesus hammered out that obedience. Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus really had to make decisions of whether or not he would obey God the Father? He did. And he made those decisions perfectly, but he made those decisions. They were not automatic. They were not autopilot, and and he didn't have to worry about it. He hammered his way through life. He gave great effort to the increase of obeying God. And finally this evening, you see also, he found favor not only with God, but he found favor also with man. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, and in verse 41, we read a passage, and, and you know, we could at this time read about the second greatest command, uh, to love God with all of, uh, well, the first commandment, which would go back to the spirituality, love God with all your being. But then the second, to love thy neighbor as thyself. We could talk about that now, and that'd be a great verse to study now. But you know, there's so much said in this one short verse in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 41. Here, somewhat in the depths of the Sermon on the Mount, we have this single verse. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. You want to grow in your relationship with others? Now keep in mind, we're not talking about that casual, easy growth. We're talking about increasing as Jesus did here, which means that we're willing to pound. We're willing to give great effort to this kind of growth. So what kind of growth is a great effort toward others? Be a second miler. You know, if the Roman soldier was carrying his luggage, he could come upon anyone and demand of them to carry that luggage one mile. Jesus is saying, you carry his luggage one mile, and when it comes to the one-mile marker, don't throw the luggage down and snub your nose at him and be angry because you helped him. Go ahead and offer to carry that luggage a second mile. Why? He doesn't like me. He doesn't think anything of me because he wouldn't have made me carry his luggage to begin with. That's pounding out that second mile. In other words, it is, let's start with this on this point. We have to first be a first miler. I need to do toward you what is right and best. If I'm going to be who I need to be socially, I need to always consider, what's my responsibility to you? I need to esteem your interests higher than my own. I need to love you sincerely from the depths of my heart and and the same for all mankind. But isn't it wonderful when you're around someone that really goes the second mile? You recognize it in school. You recognize it in work. You recognize it in your family. You recognize it in the church. Second milers stand out. And you know what people usually say about second milers? I just love them. I love being around them. That's one of my good friends. Why? because they've gone far beyond what was expected to consider the rights or to consider the needs of others. Jesus increased. He really gave great effort to make sure that he had the wisdom that he ought to have. He gave great effort to make sure that his life was spiritually what it ought to be. He gave great effort to make sure that he found in social place in life serving others. And he gave great effort 
keep his physical body what it ought to be. If you and I want to really grow in a balanced fashion, we'll make sure that we're working diligently in all four of those areas. We sometimes refer to those individuals as well-rounded people. Tonight, I'm not talking about just who's walking down the aisle. Let me first extend just a personal plea to you individually. Will you give yourself a little test tonight and as you pillow your head, meditate a little bit and really give yourself a grade on those four areas. And let's make sure that if one's lagging way behind, that we work, that we're willing to give great effort, making sure that we're increasing in all four of those areas. But now as we extend the Lord's invitation, if there's one of those areas that's lagging behind and you need to respond, perhaps you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. What a wonderful, wonderful way to do the right thing spiritually. What a wonderful way to encourage others that also love God. Won't you do that tonight as a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess that Jesus is the Son of God before others? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and maybe there's areas of your life that are lacking and you need to repent and you need to confess sins and let's pray forgiveness. You know, great pioneers, so oftentimes we simply think about what they accomplished. And we don't give a lot of thought to what kind of person accomplishes that. We think about wanting to go to heaven. But today has been an effort for us to think about what kind of person makes it to heaven. It's a person that's growing. It's a person that's increasing. And there's not a person here that doesn't need to work on that. Let's be what God wants us to be by declaring right now to our God, I want to draw closer to you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.